weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Thanks to Emma Power, it's Friday the 20th of January and this is Game On. Coming up today, Johnny Holland sets us up for the final round of the Champions Cup pool stages. In soccer, I'll ask Alan Cawley and Fergal Brennan if Arteta can pick up where Vieira left off as Arsenal take on Manchester United. Jane Mangan will preview the weekend's racing and will meet the women's team captains ahead of basketball's Paddy O'Connor Cup final. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. On 2FM. Yeah, welcome along. I am delighted to say that we have another competition. So, we have a pair of tickets to the insuremyhouse.ie Paddy O'Connor Cup final to give away to a lucky listener. Simply ask, answer the following question. What venue will host the insuremyhouse.ie National Cup finals which take place this weekend? Text your answer name and email address to 51552. There are 11 games taking place over the insuremyhouse.ie National Cup finals weekend which started this evening. With tickets still available for some of the finals, go to Basketball Ireland website which is basketball I get this wrong every time which is Ireland.basketball yes Ireland.basketball uh, that should be etched in my brain now um, Alan Cawley welcome along Evening Marie how are you? It's great to have you here on a Friday evening Yeah well I enjoy my Friday evenings here with you <laughs> You do And the big welcome that I get from Jules at the front door Oh yeah Did I ever tell you about the great welcomes I get from Jules? You did a few times I think she's you might even be on her Christmas card list or vice versa uh, Yeah absolutely she's um, yeah well she's one of her own from Sligo as well so she gives me a warm welcome every time I come in Marie and she's a uh, a great woman. Yeah, she's sound out. She is. Um, Alan, so what are you? What are your plans for the weekend? Um, a match for the kids over the weekend, oh, Marie, and then one? yeah, I'm looking forward to the big games, obviously in the Premier League as well, particularly the one on Sunday, Arsenal and Man United. Um, and even though last week we discussed it, and some people were kind of getting a little bit carried away in terms of Man United possibly for a title challenge, I never quite saw that. But it's just a pity that they can get the three points against Crystal Palace because it would have made it interesting going into the game Sunday. Now they're obviously still in the mix, but I think Arsenal, Arsenal, I, and I, I know I said this last week about it's still only kind of we're only at halfway, <laughs> and for people to calm down a little bit yet, but they've put themselves in such a strong position like a really really strong position and when you see what's going on at City in terms of Pep and the aftermath of last night and the interview when all is not right there so they have a brilliant chance Arsenal Just I wanted to to ask you about something did you see Jesse Lingard yesterday his comments about Manchester United and Manchester City and the difference and the things that he highlighted was that there was no games room there was nowhere to sit around and play pool and have chats with the lads and um, that he really missed it so what was the comparison from he Man United to... City's grounds and the facilities that they have there and then comparing, saying that Manchester... It's actually a bit like what Ronaldo said that time when he was highlighting the lack of a good chef. <laughs> but I just thought it was interesting for uh, Jesse Lingard to be the one saying it about um, wanting the games room and the crack because um, I'd say that he is somebody that would like that. But in his defence, I can see why it would be important. Like you've been at a setup, like mm. a Premier League setup. Um, it was obviously a bit different back then, Al. But still, I mean, you were there. How important is it to have those kind of common areas where you can all bond? Yeah, I think it's important to have some sort of common area, but I think Jesse Lingard coming out with those comments, <laughs> he's not the one that should be because he's perceived as a bit of a kind of, as you say, concentrating on computer games and board games. Um, and not cl- clothing lines. Yeah, nonsense stuff that basically people, the first stick they'll beat you with is the likes of that when you're not performing on the pitch and, and you see Calvert-Lewin is something similar and Tom Davis at mm. Everton they get awful stick because of their interests off the pitch now I can kind of see why as well but they're into it clothing lines and all sorts of stuff especially the position Everton are in so I do think 
a common room, a pool pool table, mm. snooker table, whatever the case may be. But I wouldn't be coming out seeing it as a criticism if you don't have a games room. Yeah. To be honest with you, you seem really put out by it. I am. I'm annoyed by it. Well, Je- <laughs> well, Jesse seemed really put out by yeah, it. Yeah, well, there's a, he was on a podcast yeah. there that I listened to during the week, and um, I haven't listened to it yet. But, but I, I normally listen to some of the guests that be on that podcast, the CEO podcast. So I'm going to listen yeah. to him because there is. Uh, I saw the little kind of clip of the trailer for it, and he speaks about kind of grief and his mom and trouble in terms of the abuse that he mm. was getting on social media, which there's that's totally uncalled for. Whether a fella performing on the pitch or not, no one should go through. The, the abuse that he was getting yeah. um, and the games room bit was probably taken out of context I'm sure it was a wider I haven't listened to the full podcast it was probably a war, wider discussion about facilities mm. and how far ahead other Premier League teams are in terms of what they have for training for preparation to be in the best yeah um, yeah but if all that's if all that's focused towards football I've no problem yeah. with but I don't think Man City and Arsenal are out where they are because they have a brilliant games room <laughs> okay well you can listen to that and report back um, before we move on speaking of facilities uh, my own club at home Six Mile Bridge Day Club yeah. are having their first open night in their new indoor arena so they have built the most amazing really? indoor arena down there like full size pitch totally covered in um, they're going to put a track around it there's a wall ball going at the side of it and it is so that so the kids can train all year round brilliant it's absolutely amazing did they fund this themselves so my dad was involved people have actually been texting me asking me about this and my dad was your dad's a great man my dad's a great man so he was hugely involved in the fundraising side of it so much so that I'd often get um, be getting ideas from things like what you were doing in Sligo Rovers with mm. the bricks and little things mm. like that so he was always looking for ways to try and come up with like the next 40 grand the next 50 grand uh, whatever they needed um, so they did a huge amount of huge amount of fundraising so they had loads of different initiatives and it was all the people in the community so they had big they had big um, a big huge fundraiser like um, uh, Dancing with the Stars kind of thing and they did a whole weekend a festival weekend where they did on separate nights they had these huge big fundraisers they had a programme where they sold loads of ads in it so they got huge money out of that they got a grant um, they got all people to do life membership so they went around to all members of the club and said for X amount you can become a member of the club for life and that's you forever um, they got people who had been part of the club they got a, this initiative where you were gone but not forgotten so they you could have a picture put up in the club and it was an association with this new arena um, they got um, one donor gave a, a big amount of money they had a development kit, kitty they had four years of lotto where they raised four, nearly 400,000 wow so they Brilliant. just this stuff's amazing I love when communities come together like this yeah. for one for the greater good and as you said for if it's for kids in terms of the winter areas and uh, places to play because that's a major problem now yeah. games called off over the weekend yeah. uh, pitches frozen and whatever the case may be Castle Gar and Galway built one as well um, there's obviously the Dome and Connacht but yeah um, how big is it because that's what I was aiming towards when you said that I because I'm fascinated by this dome in Galway I want to go down and see it because again linking it back to the soccer and obviously in Iceland and places like this they have like that's it's it's a regular occurrence for clubs to have these kind of arenas whereas I hear these games going on and the Gaelic matches going on indoor and when I heard it first I was kind of thinking really in terms of the ball yeah. going so high with with a roof and everything but for soccer and all these these things would be amazing So I tweeted a video of it the under 13 boys were in there just um, two days ago so it's they're having an official anyone who wants to go up and see it tonight can do that but um, they had 45 
13 year old boys in there and there was loads of space they're running around they're doing drills um, like on an astro on an astro an mm. indoor astro painted in the club colours um, brand new lit up there's goals there they have everything it's lined pitch like it looks absolutely amazing and it's it's just been so interesting to see that so many different clubs got in touch with me to ask me about it and say how did they do it like they people in clubs now in soccer clubs in GA clubs all around the country know the importance of having facilities so that your kids can train all year mm. round because we're sitting here as we've talked about for so um for so long from months go by and you've no access to any facilities so they're just taking it into their own hands they do obviously get grants from Munster Council and Crow Park and that but um, and government grants but still you have to go and make it happen mm. yourself and they've done that um, it's when, been six when, or seven years now in the planning I was planning. Going to say yeah. When, yeah when did the idea kind yeah. of first arise yeah it was about six or seven years ago and okay. it, they had to they were paying raising money as they went along and went along and you know there was COVID obviously in between that as well so things had to take a bit of a, mm. a step back but you could see it going brick by brick by mm. brick and what was really um, what was really fascinating about it was that people really wanted to invest in it they wanted to do their life memberships or to do their Gone But Not Forgotten because you could see the investment in bricks mm. and mortar it wasn't money going into a manager's pocket or anything mm. like that or expenses for players it's a legacy that's been that's there in a village now in a community for everybody to use so these kids are going to have that now for the rest of their lives it's going to be you know you talked about the the, the joy that you got from going in playing pool like think of the kids there now it's a Friday evening at yeah. 5 o'clock let's go down to the indoor arena yeah, unreal yeah and to have that on your doorstep and that's why people I think two things there I think people row in behind the fact that people are prepared to roll up their sleeves mm -hmm. and put these projects together because they can see the the time and effort that goes into them and yeah. have that vision and you need people to have a vision yeah. and a foresight initially because sometimes I find people I won't say just Irish people but there can be a defeatist attitude mm -hmm. when an idea gets thrown out oh sure that'll never happen or how could we do that yeah. but it takes a strong person to actually have the vision in the first place put it together get the good people around them to obviously make it happen yeah. as you say and I think people will always run behind that because when you think of as you say Marie people will come and go in terms of players will come and go mm -hmm. people involved in the club will come and go we'll all die at some stage but to have something of a major infrastructure in the area that will be there forever mm -hmm. when we're all long gone I think it's absolutely brilliant absolutely yeah. brilliant it's you must be so proud of seeing yeah, it come together unbelievable because I, so many nights I'd go home to Claire at a weekend and dad would be in the sit room on the iPad and be trying to come up with ideas and what you think of this and what you think of that and um, I remember the, the when he had the gone but not forgotten idea and um, so many people wanted to to get involved and um, they wanted it and, you know even little things like he was like where will I get the picture frames you know what I mean like yeah, a small yeah, thing yeah. and I was like we, we could go to Ikea you know I'd have them all over the club yeah it? like little things like that but it just shows that it just it takes and like he had a brilliant committee with them as well and loads of people were involved but I just saw firsthand what it took to get there mm. and the work that needed to go in but also the support that was around the place to make it happen and it doesn't need to be an army. It can be a group of people who have a vision that want to realise it. And if you're single-minded enough and you're determined, like, you'll find a way. And they found a way. Because it's not a big place. Like, it's a small village mm. in East Clare. Like, we're mm. not talking about, you know, a big town in Sligo. That's brilliant. It's absolutely but, amazing. Um, yeah, I love to hear those stories. Communities coming together, that's what you need, Marie. Because we, we come in here every night. We obviously love our sport mm -hmm. non-stop with sport weekends. Um, but we speak about it all the time. We watch it all the time. But... You need the communities rolling in behind yeah. that, you know, because sure, 
like I often say to you, what do people do that don't like sport? Because all we do is sport. <laughs> Give out about the people that keep talking Andy about Murray, sport. Andy Murray, I heard John about him again last night. <laughs> yeah. What about Andy Murray? I told you, he's an absolute legend. Yeah, he is. Um, okay, right, enough about that. Uh, we need to turn our attention to rugby because uh, we have a huge uh, weekend coming up of European Cup games. Johnny Holland is with me on the line. Johnny, how are things? How are you? Thanks very much for joining us. Um, before we get into um, everything that is going on at the weekend, just a word on the um, Ireland squad and the omission of Joey Carberry. Just for you, what do you think of Andy Farrell's decision, Johnny, not to to involve him for in this squad? Um, it's, it's probably commendable in one sense, but it's it's very tough on Joey, isn't it? Because. I think I've been fairly fascinated by Andy Farron, how he manages his squad and keeps people happy and they've been successful so it's probably easier when he's when he's successful he can make these decisions but you know it's probably a decision that if he didn't make no one really bat knighted at it um, so the fact that he did it you know he's obviously sticking to some form of selection and now you can argue that that he's going on form so he's left Joey out because the other fellas are maybe um, putting their hand up a small bit more but then you know there's a bit of contradiction mm-hmm. there that other fellas have been selected too but I genuinely think there's a big, bit of a bigger picture thing there with going into a tournament and you need some bit of experience you know you can't pick everyone on form because you need some bit of balance as well you know so um, interesting selection because I think there's more than Joey Carberry will be frustrated with being left out you know Treadwell up in Ulster I think has done really well and he's done really well and he's gotten into an Irish jersey as well so um yeah, Joey's gotten the headlines, but I think others will be um, frustrated as well. You know. Do you think that? Um, do you think that, from a monster point of view, there should be concerns just about how he's going to cope with it? Yeah, I, I think people need to get in around him, don't they? Like his, his family and friends will be the first board to call, but like people back in the province are going to know how that feels. I think everyone goes through some stage of this and a non-selection of some form. Like we spoke about Peter Romani, who. You know, it seems like he's never been dropped, but he was. You know, and he had a big turnaround against England in 2018, I think, away in uh, in Twickenham. So, like, a lot of people have gone through this, you know, but it doesn't make it any easier when it happens, and it doesn't mean that anyone else's situation softens your own. Like, you know, so it's um, possibly to see a reaction from from Joey, and maybe to see what the, what reaction Rock Byrne and Jack Crowley give as well in, in being part of the squad ahead of him. But mm. uh, it's definitely something that you know, if you were looking after a squad and if, if you were responsible for the well-being of players, you'd be definitely keeping it closer, yeah. If it is to maybe just give him a little bit of a jolt, is it a bit late in the kind of decision-making process to be doing that, given that we are in a World Cup year and he has invested so much into Joey? Well, funnily enough, his form has gotten a lot better. Like, I don't think his form ever was too poor, but he came out the back of an injury and then there was a ma- massive expectation on him Munster one going so well, and he was the one who was kind of tasked with turning it around, but he's actually playing quite well at the moment so you're kind of wondering about the timing of it but I think it's more so to do with rewarding the other two and uh, obviously Johnny Sexton isn't really in that conversation because he's, he's so nailed on but like the other two I think it's their form and their potential maybe but um, I don't think it's too late I think there's still warm-up games in the summer I think there's a lot of the season we played at the business end of it and that can really change um, people's decision making as well but at the same time if you were Joey Carberry and you're out of this squad you're kind of going through some bit of a Maybe, I wouldn't say a mental crisis but you're thinking about things a lot and then if you do get another chance it's going to be well depending on how the Six Nations plays out but you'd imagine it would be the summer at the earliest and then you're going into the World Cup after that so you're going to probably have some doubts in your head if you do get selected again but that's uh, that's why these players are at the top of the game they're the ones that can get past the doubts and if he can get past them then he deserves to be back in there You know, so I'd, I'd love to see him back in there um, but 
it's, it's going to be tough for them, isn't it? Oh, it is. And, and look, going to, to Toulouse um, at the weekend, is that the ideal scenario or the worst worst scenario? <laughs> it's actually funny. There's a, there's a couple of situations of selection at the weekend. You know, Buffon Ulster, you've Rob Herring in the in the Ireland squad, but you've Tom Stewart starting, who's not in the Ireland squad. And similarly, you know, you've got a couple of situations around around the other provinces. Mm. But yeah, like you wonder then, Jack. Jack Crowley's been selected with Ireland and Joey Carberry hasn't but they're playing alongside each yeah. other at the weekend so that dynamic will be, um, would be interesting to watch and I don't think there's any there's not going to be any animosity between them but he, he gets to keep his jersey which is the first thing you know you've got disappointment but you go straight back into a tough task and it's a big big game so if you can have a, a bit of a statement in that you know, I'm sure he'd be very motivated to prove people wrong but it's also a massive task for Munster to go away from home to Toulouse who are a European powerhouse um Historically, but they're actually European powerhouse presently as well, and also it's it's very very difficult. Yeah, like how difficult do you think it is going to be when you take into account as well, I guess, how much of an upward trajectory they perceive to be on anyway? Um, do you think that they can, if they keep moving in the direction that they're moving in, they they would have enough to pull off a shock? You always say they do because it's Munster and it's the the European or the Heineken Cup, so you can't really write them off. But at the same time, this isn't to lose in Musgrave Park in the weather. I'm not sure what it's going to be like in France. I see some areas of France of snow. I'm not sure what to lose is like. Maybe that's the, the ultimate leveler that they need. But you know, it's still a very strong pack with the best halfbacks. And, you know, world rugby or at least European rugby. Um, it's going to be a very very difficult task because if they're on the back foot and you can be and French crowd gets into it and there's a bit of momentum goes into that it can be very difficult but you know they've done they've done tougher things and they've done big things in this competition but I don't know this this group they, there seems to be a lot of um, belief and, and confidence within the group and obviously the way they train has been spoken about quite a bit mm. I think they'll be backing themselves within the group that they can get a result but if you look at the, the permutations of it you know how much they actually need and how they'll really approach that game you'd love to know but I think you know you can't say a team up for anything less than a win. So I think if they go for a win and they fall back on some form of points, then you know I think they'll they'll get out of there and be happy enough. How far away do you think they are from what Graham Rowntree wants them to be? Are they? Well, they're definitely like you know you finish it this season. I don't think you're you're going to really see silverware in there. But I'd love to be wrong. And then I think next season you could have a real crack off it. But these things go on kind of, you know, you hear about these three-year three, three year cycles. I don't think anyone in Munster is going to be saying, oh, we'll wait three years because, you know, I'm coaching. And if anyone told me we're in transition and, and you know, you can wait another while now and you'll, you'll win something eventually, you'd be, you'd be fairly annoyed about it, you know. So people speaking on the outside, they can have their opinion and it can be quite objective. But within the group, they'll believe it this year and they'll believe it's next year if it doesn't happen this year. But I do think next year they'll probably have a better crack of something. But, you know, Graham Rowntree's selection has been similar to Andy Farrell in that he is trying to pick from off form and you know Keith Earls isn't back in the, in the squad again this weekend and he's picking young fellas and there seems to be a little bit of a transition so you know sometimes when that happens it's, it's very exciting up to the point of you know real uh, big clashes at the end of the season and maybe they'll go on and do something but you know sometimes that experience comes against you and it expands to you for another year so who knows they'd hate to write them off but you know it's probably a couple of seasons anyway yeah, I think uh, if they did all right and, and Joey Carberry did brilliantly, everyone would probably be happy enough. Um, so from a Leinster perspective then, um, hosting Racing, do you think it's going to be as straightforward as everyone is predicting? Um, I, I don't really know. It depends on what Racing turns up. Like Racing didn't turn up at all in the, at, at the home game. Um, and and that's, that's against Leinster, but I don't think anyone really predicted how Leinster were going to come out in that game either. You know, So I think they're... They're going to be very hard to stop. Anything at home for Leinster is just you can't really see anything else happening. I don't think it'll be so straightforward, but 
it depends on what way wrestling are approaching and I think they like the European Cup anyway in the last couple of years so they're not just going to lie down and see what happens either so you're going to have to expect something coming at them um, you look through their team they still have very big names even though it's not the same side that we would have been used to in the last couple of years but Leinster like most of Leinster players are just picked for the, the Six Nations they're going to be quite motivated and excited and you look at Jamie Osborne in the middle of the pitch you know they've, they've still got a lot, a lot of excitement and different reasons for wanting to win every game you know it's not a fella who's been there a load of times and, and is quite comfortable like he's going to be top of his game again and he's so, it's so exciting for us to watch but you see like Ronan Keller coming back into the team he's trying to prove a point Joe McCarthy's getting a start for you know the tight headlock position so a lot of these people have, have a lot to play for you know so um, will it be straightforward? I'm not sure, but there's a lot of motivation for Leinster to really kick on and enjoy the standard of being the the only team with three winning bonus points, isn't it? So why won't they want four? Yeah, well, on the RT website, um, the opening line of one of the pieces is the prize for Leinster this weekend is a big one, win, and they'll be able to play each of the remaining Champions Cup uh, games this season in Dublin. Now, that is a big prize. That is a big prize. Like when you think about it, it can that will go a long way to winning the, the tournament, won't it? So, you know, when you if you're saying that to players, all of a sudden they sit up in their seats. If coaches see that, they they go, all right, yeah, actually this is as, as important as any one of them. You know, so that was news to me. I, I must admit, <laughs> but it's uh, it's enough for motivation as well, isn't it? It wasn't from your column then. Obviously, I got it from. <laughs> no, Neil Tracy, I think. <laughs> um, so Ulster and Sale, um, another huge one for Ulster. It feels like every game they're playing at the moment is a huge game for them. Um, but this one, because they're still in with the the shout, and it's a make or break encounter. Um, it's pretty impressive, just given everything that's unfolded and um, within Ulster rugby over the last um, month or so. That they still have this huge opportunity. But I think that's something that's going on with the competition, isn't it? Mm. The fact that they can still yeah. be in with a chance. You know, they're, they're not in any great form. Their team sheet seems to be just throw a couple of names at the board and see what sticks like. I don't think there's any real continuity in it. Um, sorry, there's a bit of continuity in their pack, but there's, there's some selections that you'd be kind of thinking about. I don't think it's the same situation as Graham Roundtree rewarding people. I think, unfortunately, Dan McFarland is up there wondering who's going to actually perform for me, you know. So, is it one win in seven and they've thrown away a couple at the end of the game but they played very well against La Rochelle in difficult conditions last week and they were quite resilient unfortunately losing it at the very end but that's another thing that keeps going through their squad that they're losing it at the end and then you get a little bit of change in personnel again this week but they're at home it's a very hard place for any mm-hmm. team to go to they have a lot of pride up there they have a lot to play for it's not a straightforward they need a bonus point win and they still need things to go for them but you know, will it be one of those things where also we'll get a bit of form back, they'll win the bonus point, it'll still not go through and it'll just be so harsh again, like, you know, but, um, yeah, you'd wonder what's going on up there at the moment, it seems to be, there doesn't seem to be a lot of harmony up there, but um, that can turn around in one week, you know, like, if you look at the games that they lost, they were ahead in a lot of them or they've lost them in the last minute and these kind of things, you know, it's, it only takes maybe one or two moments on the other side of that as well to get your form back. So what about uh, Connacht then? They are travelling to Newcastle Fallons in that Challenge Cup game. Yeah, it seems like a bit of a, a funny competition at the moment. Like it, It's hard to follow everything that's going on at, uh, in both competitions with the amount of teams and personnel that are included now with the South African teams as well. But if you look at Newcastle, like they haven't really been up to anything. Well, sorry, they haven't been up to anything at all in that competition. You know, they've, they've gotten beaten well by, by Cardiff twice. And likewise, you know, Connacht have, have had big wins or a big win against Breeze too. So, You'd like to think that Connacht will just drive on and get um, a home game in the next round, and and that'll be fairly straightforward. But you know, I think the only thing that's kind of levelling that one is the fact that they're away. 
you know, mm. otherwise it would be a lot more straightforward. Depends on what kind of pride again that Newcastle put into this. They're sitting on zero points today, so um, very hard to see what's going to play out there. And just before we finish up, um, the news yesterday that the RFU approved a reduction in tackle height for the English community game to improve player safety hasn't been met with um, overall approval. A lot of players have voiced their scrutiny scrutiny over it. What's your thoughts? Do you know, I, I've been looking at it so much. I've been skimming across everything on Twitter today that I didn't even go into it in, in full depth. But I saw, I can't remember which, which tackle it was. It was an unbelievable try-saving tackle around the lower arm. Um, mm. Under chest height, like, and and it said this will be outlawed in the new in the, the new laws in the game, and it just seems a bit wrong, you know. So there's, I know there's I, I need to look into it myself, and especially if it's going to start crossing the the water over here, considering I'm coaching at that level as well. So I need to start looking into it a bit better. <laughs> um, but there's you know there's still a lot of concern around the yeah. the tackler and not the the person being tackled and the ball carrier. Like the tackler is going to be quite low. Um, does does the ball carrier get to just crouch and make his body kind of you know, harder to tackle is the pick and goal going to be taken out of it. But likewise, we do need to look after the game. You know, we need to look after the the contact that's going on to the game, going on in the game because it it is dangerous. And you know, you're, I retired from the game, and all of a sudden I was on on the sideline, and I'm looking on, and it seems like a very different game to what you played when you're when you're when the adrenaline is is gone from you. You know, so it's uh, or the adrenaline of playing at least. So I I don't like a lot of change. I'd be honest. But something has to change, or something has to like players have to be protected. I just wonder how it's going to play out. I know there's a bit of ambiguity in terms of how the um, the RFU have have kind of um, translated the data from the French trial. You know, so there's there's loads and loads in it that I need to look at. But it, 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 there's, there's change happening, which is good. But yeah. too much change too quickly, you know, it could be um, could be detrimental to the game too. Yeah, a lot of negative reaction, all right, to it, um, just in terms of the safety issues that will come with tackling Alor as well, uh, concussions with knees to faces to heads, more injuries, that sort of stuff. Anyway, I'd say we will be talking about that again sometime soon. Uh, Johnny Hallen, for now, though, thank you so much for joining us and uh, enjoy all the weekend's rugby. Thanks, mate. RTE 2FM. Welcome back. It's time now to talk football. Alan Colley is with me in studio. Fergal Brennan joins us on the line all the way from Merseyside. Fergal, how are things? Very well. Very good, thank you. So the big game of the weekend, arguably, is Arsenal and Manchester United. Liverpool and Chelsea is a big game as well, but for different reasons. But I do think that we need to start with Arsenal and United, just given the fact that Arsenal are doing so well and Manchester United are doing well as well and are going to pose such a, a tough test for them. And since we always ask, um, have Arsenal answered every single question that has been put with, to them? Um, this is another one that's coming their way. Do you think that we are going to get um, an electric Arsenal performance at home hosting Manchester United, ones like we've seen before, Fergal? Hopefully, uh, from their perspective, obviously last weekend going into the Spurs game, it was another test. Every weekend seems to be a, a test of their mettle and, and whether they are genuine title contenders. I know that sounds mad because they are in front and they're doing so well, but the Premier League is, is normally such a kind of ruthless beast in these senses and teams with experience being in these situations and winning major titles tend to be the ones that kind of arm wrestle other teams out of it and that's Man City in this example. But I just think the performance against Spurs last weekend was was so impressive in terms of everything that it had to be. They matched the intensity and they just had too much quality for, for Tottenham. I know Tottenham are having a few problems at the moment and there's potential speculation over Antonio Conte staying but Arsenal just 
don't seem to get involved in all that. They look very together. You saw them huddling before the game after each goal. Obviously, there was the, the nonsense after the game um, with the fan attacking Aaron Ramsdale, mm. which was which was disgusting. But even after that, they, Arteta ran down. They all just kind of got off the pitch and got in the dressing room and, and looking to focus on, on the important things, which are, are winning football matches. United, form-wise, are the next best after Arsenal in the Premier League based on post-World Cup form. Um, I don't think it'll be a big dent to draw against Palace in midweek because... Crystal Palace at home tend to be quite a difficult side to play against. Um, the big one is the Casemiro mm-hmm. absence through suspension because he's been huge for them and he's exactly the type of player that would give Arsenal, a, again, that word, a, a test um, in terms of the middle of the pitch. Are they able to win that battle against someone like him? Now they're in a position where they won't have to face him or that type of situation. So I do fancy them to win. Um and then from Manchester City's perspective, they're in a very odd position that they are the ones playing catch-up. I don't believe all this stuff that Guardiola's been saying that he's not bothered about the Premier League or they're out with the race. Look at the reaction from them last night against Spurs. They're, they're still in the hunt and, and they will push Arsenal all the way. Alan, what's the difference between if you were to play City or Arsenal at the moment? Like, What's what's the difference between the two of them? I think the momentum uh, that Arsenal are carrying into every game and the confidence that they have and I also think a massive thing and if you go back through all the successful teams and it's something I speak about a lot, Marie, with the successful teams, they've continuity in their team selection mm. and you look at the same 11, it never changes bar the odd one and you'll always get away with that. If you know your 9 or 10 out of 11 every week and you look at Arteta, bar Jesus and Ketty has come in, if Jesus was around he'd be playing but it's the same back four the, the midfield three of Partey Odegaard Xhaka uh, Martinelli and Saka and obviously Jesus and Nketiah so um, that's massive for them you go through all the other clubs who are struggling and, genu- and you'll generally find that they're mixing and matching players and you're not getting the same 11 out on the pitch every week um, so I think that's massive in, in terms of the difference between them at the moment you even look at City now City can cater for making changes because of the quality of the squad that they have but I do think that's a problem for them at the moment and you look at last night in terms of the five changes now he obviously got the result as well but all doesn't seem well in the camp whereas you look at that look at Arsenal at the moment and the form that they're in Arteta's buzzing nothing coming out of the camp all is going along uh, swimmingly well so I think that's the massive difference at the moment with them and they've been so good Marie like you mentioned there about Fergal to Fergal about maybe questions being mm. asked of them I don't think anyone can ask questions of them now because they've delivered on everything so just leave them where they are and they're absolutely title contenders I think they're the favourites at the moment like it's going to be up to the others to try and overtake them yeah, lot to, as you always say, a lot, still a lot of football to play. We're, of course, we but, but they've put themselves in such a strong position, Marie. And they're probably blessed this weekend that they're not going to have be playing against Casemiro. Yeah, and that's an interesting one for me now because even when I'm saying there about the clubs that generally are struggling and they're mixing a match mm. and Liverpool, Chelsea, all maybe the other clubs, United are getting to the point where they're getting continuity in the team selection. And again, you look at the three with Casemiro, Eriksen and Bruno Fernandes, Rashford on the left, if it's Anthony, maybe on the right. So he's getting nine or ten out of 11 he knows every week as well and I think that uh, is a clear indication of why their form is picked up also but on the Casemiro one he's going to be such a massive mm-hmm. loss Marie Fred is probably the obvious one to come in but I don't think he's good enough to do 
what Casemiro does on his own I think if you bring Fred in with McTominay alongside him or you have Fred alongside Casemiro that's fine but Casemiro can do the job literally sitting there on his own with Eriksen either side of maybe and leave Fernandez to go off and float I don't think that'll be the case if they bring Fred in especially because um, Arsenal are so creative you need someone to disrupt that absolutely and you, that's where you look at the form Odegaard is in yeah. for me he's probably the player of the season so far then you have Saka and Martinelli coming in as well Zinchenko going into that midfield area so they're always overrunning teams in there as I said Casemiro would have the experience to probably deal with that and he's been so good so he's going to be a massive loss for them there's no doubt about that and it'll be interesting to see will he go I don't think he'll go Fred on his own will he bring McTominay into the team as well and possibly sacrifice Anthony or someone and he's played Bruno Fernandes uh, wide right in a couple of the games as well he might just move him on one and you could play McTominay Fred and Eriksen ahead of those Fergal, what is he looking for, or Arteta looking for, out of Lee Andrew Trossard? I think he's kind of following on from, from Alan's point about consistency. I don't think Leandro Trossard will come in and be demanding to play every single game. I definitely don't think Arteta will be making those sorts of promises prior to the deal getting done earlier today. I think everyone at Arsenal knows that Eddie Nketiah is, is in for Gabriel Jesus and he's done very, very well as a replacement. But there will be a lot of pressure on him as the game starts to ramp up. Manchester City in the FA Cup, twice in the Premier League, then obviously when European football returns, there's a lot of football being piled onto his shoulders. And he is relatively inexperienced at the sharp edge of Premier League football, and also a lot of these Arsenal players are, but he's in particular. The Andrew Trossard offers a lot of flexibility and a lot of versatility across that front three. Saka and Martinelli are absolute first-choice picks, but if they need a rest, if they need a break, if maybe we're in February or March and they, they hit a little bit of a spell of form where maybe things dip, he can play in either of those positions. But I think particularly with Nketiah, he's a different type of player, but he can play up through the middle. If Nketiah gets to a situation where the goals have dried up and maybe because he's not got as much experience as Jesus, that affects his confidence and he starts to see his performances drop. Arteta knows that Arsenal can't afford Nketiah's confidence to drop because that means the goals will drop and they'll start to drop points and Man City are just waiting for that so I think Trossard will come in and he'll rotate across that front three he'll cover for Nketiah if he's not scoring goals if Saka or Martinelli need a break he'll play in either of those positions I don't think he's an absolute nailed on starter I think he's a really good choice for what Arsenal need which is versatility and someone that given his status as a really good Premier League player but not a global superstar that's going to rock up in January and upset the, the harmony that they've got in that squad I think is someone that adds to what they've got it's, it's similar I think going back to Diogo Jota signing for Liverpool someone that adds something to a squad that's already very very good doesn't step on anyone's toes but improves the overall output of the team Sounds valuable He's a good player, Trossard, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And again, Arsenal are getting to the stage where they're strengthening the squad now all the time as well, Marie. They have the brilliant 11. You need to top that up and get to a case where obviously you have 16, 18 top quality, what you would class as first team players. Trossard, as Fergal rightly says, a very, very good Premier League player, Belgian international, 28 years of age, kind of coming into his peak years now. Good value as well at 27 million. When you think of the bonkers money mm. people are spending left, right and centre, I think he's good value at that price. Um, and he'll only strengthen the squad. And he will come in and play his part obviously cup competitions as well where they may have to obviously when they're rotating they'll have to rest some of the, the key Premier League fellas for bigger games to come down the stretch so I think he's a really good sign in Trossard Fergal we're just speaking of money there since Alan brought it up will we see 80, £88 million uh, Mudrick play for Chelsea on Saturday against Liverpool? 
I'd be pretty confident, yeah. Um, he's been put through his paces in, in training, um, all the medical and paperwork and everything is, is already wrapped up. And I think Chelsea fans are really interested to see exactly who he is, to be, to be perfectly straight. I think there's been a lot of speculation about just how good he is. And in, in reality, due to his situation at, at Shakhtar, we haven't really seen a massive amount of him other than in the Champions League where he has looked impressive. Um, for me, the jury's still out in terms of can he do it in the Premier League, in the Champions League for Chelsea. I know we've seen him do uh, do impressive things for Shakhtar, but it's it's a completely different scenario and it's a pressurised situation for him because Graham Potter's under pressure, mm-hmm. Chelsea are under pressure to start getting themselves back on track. They're in mid-table at the minute. That's obviously not where they want to be or certainly not where they thought they would be this season. Um, and I'm still not too sure how he's going to impact a team that is crying out for an out-and-out goal scorer, someone that will mm-hmm. break beyond defences and score buckets of goals. That's what they need. I'm not overly convinced at this point in time whether he'll do that, certainly between now and the end of the season. I think in the long term, I think he's a very talented player, but similarly to Jao Felix coming in, a really talented player, but is he absolutely what Chelsea need? I'm not completely sure that is the case at the moment. Alan, what kind of Liverpool are we going to see? They were in rag order against Brighton. I think uh, Klopp said it was the worst that he'd ever seen. Picked mm-hmm. it up a bit against Wolves, but if they don't pick it up another level, like it could be easy enough for Chelsea out there. Yeah, it's uh, well. That's the that's the million dollar question. We just don't know what Liverpool you're getting, and and we spoke about Arsenal in terms of their consistency. It's the opposite for Liverpool, as we all know. The concession of goals is killing them as well, Marie. Like when you think of the three successful seasons, and I've a couple of stats here. Even 2008, 19, they were only conceding 0.6 goals uh, per game. 19, 20, they were only conceding 0.9. And last year, when they had the brilliant season, firing on all fronts, they only conceded 0.6 as well. So all under a goal a game. At the moment, they're averaging 1.4 goals a game conceding, and you won't win anything or go anywhere with that Marie um, I have a little bit of sympathy for Liverpool because like football now there's so much scrutiny on football and every kind of it's almost instant reaction to everything as we speak mm-hmm. I prefer to see a trend developing before you come to really some harsh judgments on, on and teams like and players everyone's under pressure yeah and, and, it, and it can be madness at times mm-hmm. but when you think of Liverpool last year the two cups to one and they were a hair's breadth away from winning the Champions League and the league as well on top of an unbelievable season played every single match I still can't get my head around that Marie mm-hmm. I've never heard of it before where they've played every single match that was available to play they played in it which was phenomenal so there's always going to be a bit of a hangover from that um, and, and, and in fairness to Klopp he's done such a brilliant job I just wish Klopp would kind of at times he can be a bit whingy about it whereas I prefer if he actually just embrace the challenge now of trying to get them back to where they once were last season there's not too much wrong in terms of you go through the stats he said the concession of goals is killing them but they're still averaging 1.9 goals a game under his era throughout all the years he's been here they, they, they score two goals per game so they're still in and around mm-hmm. that mark so there's not an awful lot wrong you think of all the players in terms of the attacking quality that they have so squad wise it's very strong I still think the midfield area probably needs a little bit of addressing in terms of the recruitment and the defensive issues as I said where they're conceding the goals but I, I would cut them a little bit of slack I have to say because of all they achieved last year Fergal uh, let's move on to West Ham and Everton and you might have um, a little bit of insight into this uh, there is suggestions that there was a board meeting and that if David Moyes West Ham don't beat Everton that's the end of him 
Yeah, and I, I think that's ironically true for, for both managers going into this game. It's, it's very tense and very tight um, for for Everton at the moment. I think the team, Frank Lampard as well, is probably quite lucky that they're not playing at home this weekend. Mm. But the situation is not as volatile around West Ham and, and David Moyes, but the scenario that Lampard finds himself in is, is identical to, to David Moyes. They've both got the worst run of form since the World Cup. Everton, West Ham, they've only picked up a point each since the Premier League's come back into business and for different reasons they're under huge pressure Moyes because the expectation is that he would have built on last season and getting into Europe doing really well getting all the way to the semi-finals in the Europa and then Everton unfortunately because of all of the shenanigans and the toxicity going on behind the scenes I still think Lampard will be the fall guy for that because he will go before the board goes. I don't really think any Everton fan, as angry as they are with the boardroom and the ownership, they still know that the Premier League works in a way that the manager is always the one that goes, even if they're not in the wrong. Um, and I just think it, both of them are on borrowed time, regardless of the result. It could be a it could be a cracker of a game. It could be a terrible game tomorrow. I think both of them are on borrowed time. The only slight thing that maybe hints at David Moyes getting a little bit longer is Danny Ings coming in today because that was a move that he sanctioned and they got that over Everton. Uh, Everton were also interested in him. He's the type of signing that David Moyes will be confident will get them goals to get them a little bit up the table and, and ease a little bit of that pressure. That's not happening at Everton. Frank Lampard's not getting money to buy players and that just hints to me that he will be moved out. But I, but I still think David Moyes will be as well it's just a case of who goes first I think it's so interesting Marie when you look at those teams and the stats so you have West Ham Everton they've conceded as many goals as Liverpool 25 to have a 26 but the difference is West Ham have only scored 15 Everton have only scored 15 Liverpool have scored 34 so it just backs up the point mm -hmm. about Liverpool are still scoring and doing all that stuff it's the concession <laughs> of the goals but you look at those two conceding 25 prolific and leaky at the same time yeah. <laughs> um, Fergal thank you so much for joining us enjoy the weekend um, Alan stay with us uh, we have a little bit more to come basketball and Jane Mangan after this break RTE 2FM now, welcome back. It is time to talk basketball. Michelle Clark of Parabel Cholester, the captain of Parabel Cholester, joins us in studio. And Rebecca O'Keefe of Trinity Meteor is, is on the line. You're both very, very welcome. Um, Alan Cawley is still here as well. I made the point that it's actually brilliant to have two people from opposing teams speaking to us ahead of a game. We had it last night as well with the men's final. So thank you so much for coming in. Um, I know it's so close to the big game, but we really appreciate it. And I made the point, um, Michelle, last night to the lads that the game has grown so much. It obviously helps when um, you're so conscientious about getting out and doing the promotion. And I went through some of the stats last night, but um, one that really stuck out with me is that it's a 50-50 gender split in terms of participation, which is amazing. Yeah, it's absolutely huge. Um, that's something that has been a big push um, that we want to keep because we're one of very few sports um, in particular team for sports I think we're the only one in Ireland with the 50-50 split so we've seen huge growth um, over the last five years I think we've had a 48% yep. increase yeah. so Amazing on the stats yeah. that's exactly Massive. it five years 48% over 35,000 wow. <laughs> that's class like that's brilliant um, just to even to get that far Rebecca seeing that growth and we were had COVID as well like in the middle of all of that and basketball really suffered um for you, like, what what do you think is the catalyst for for getting so many people interested in the game and also having that fifty fifty gender split? Yeah, I think the gender party is amazing in the sport, and basketball Ireland really had a big push for development and for you know rebuilding 
both at underage level and on the international stage. And I think a huge a huge advantage is like getting the coverage we're getting on the mainstream because coverage helps and it definitely shows role models, it shows what's possible, it shows, you know, young people what mm-hmm. is achievable on this on in this sport. And yeah, COVID was was difficult, especially being in indoor sport, but you know, the the popularity is there and the growth is there and it's about maintaining that now. Rebecca, correct me if I'm wrong here now, but you joined Trinity Meteors last season after a six-year absence from the game. You're captain now this season. That's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I suppose I'm showing my age here now because it's also been um, 11 years since I've been in a Super League oh, final. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I um, for uh, health reasons, I had to stop playing the game, but then COVID actually brought me back. So, you know, in a weird way, COVID was beneficial for me and joining the team, joining Meteors, um, Trinity Meteors has been wonderful. Um, and like, Dad was my coach last year, but now we have a whole new setup, oh, a whole new dynamic. Great. And um, yeah, it's really great to see because last year we came up from promotion and it's amazing to see how much we're building and, you know, pushing forwards and really looking for to do well now this year so first final since 1996 how did you get to this stage so quickly yeah like it's pretty momentous for the club and trending years is um going from strength to strength like i mean even our under 18s are in the final beforehand so you know the future of the club is incredibly optimistic at this time and the partnership between trinity and meteors has happened in the meantime as well so that's been really good for you know attracting new talents and uh, like facilities and support has been wonderful between the two and it's, it's really about you know again as I'm saying like building on this momentum that we have now Michelle you're going into the uh, game as underdogs do you like that? Um, yeah I think <laughs> it, it takes the pressure off definitely um, no pressure Rebecca now, so. <laughs> no but it I mean we're just going to treat it as any other game mm. um, we'd be, we could be going into a league game as underdogs it doesn't really matter but definitely it takes the pressure off because it is a big occasion um, and you do want to soak it up but still go in with it's an, any other game uh, just happens to be live on TV in front of a lot more of people of course yeah and uh, we'll probably be sold out as well um, but going up against a, a team and look you're, you're there on merit and everything but there are a lot of big names in, in, the, in that Trinity Meteors team how do you approach a game like that? Um, I suppose we'll be going back as teammates in three weeks time uh, over in the Czech Republic with Claire and Dana and Sarah mm-hmm. but um, it, again it's, it's just any other game we, we know their strengths um, and you just need to try capitalise on maintaining um, maintaining the strengths that we have and, and bringing what we can t- uh, to build off that it sounds, um, Rebecca, like that because it's such a small community and um, you've played for different teams, everybody knows each other really well. Oh, yeah, everyone knows <laughs> everyone. <laughs> but that's the lovely thing about it. Like, everyone, it's a really nice community. Everyone gets on, but then once it comes to on the court, it's, you know, everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to do the best they can for their team. And, yeah, it's about, you know, focusing in on your team game and how you can learn the different strengths mm-hmm. of the opposition and yeah but also like the team dynamics are different and playing with each other and against each other is very different and it, it makes for a very exciting game and I definitely think the game on Sunday will be so exciting because the matchups yeah the teams have very different strengths but the matchups will be very exciting and I mean we played each other earlier this season it was a very tight game but I know that we've definitely found a different rhythm we've like really gone into our team game now and so yeah it's set to be very exciting 
good. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And so will be the winner of tonight's competition. Um, well, they won a pair of tickets to the intromyhouse.ie Polly O'Connor Cup final. And it's Fergal Doyle who correctly identified that the weekend's intromyhouse.ie National Cup finals take place at the National Basketball Arena in Tala. So congratulations to Fergal. It should be an absolutely cracking weekend of basketball. Michelle and Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck. You're probably both uh, rushing off training now or uh, doing something to prepare for the game. But I really appreciate you taking the time uh, so close to it and for flying the flag as well in a sport where it's a 50-50 gender split, which is great. Uh, thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Now, I am delighted to say that Jane Mangan joins me on the line. Um, Jane, uh, how are things? I had a bit of a technical difficulty there, but I'm back on track again now that you're with me. Yeah, I find it funny that I'm straight after that particular Jennifer Zamparelli advert. It doesn't really fit our domain, does it? Well, look, I mean, who knows what you have in common with, uh, with Jennifer? It could be anything. Whatever is relevant, but what we don't exactly. have is a lot of time. So yeah. we better talk about Go what's on. happening at the weekend. We don't have Taunton tomorrow, and we don't have Ascot, but crucially, Nergamine and, and Edward Stone's clash is potentially still on because that Clarence House chase, which is due to be run tomorrow afternoon, has been transferred to next weekend's Cheltenham Card, which also features the Cotswold chase. The main race, of course, this weekend will come here at home, Thurlis on Sunday, host horse and jockey chase. It's a grade two six horses in it with an average rating of 158. There's three horses in this race with a rating superior to 160, which basically means this is a grade one masquerading as a grade two. Shaq and Persois up to two and a half miles. The one-time champion chase, so brilliant multiple grade one winner up and trip. Sacre du Deris, basically at his optimum distance for Joseph O'Brien. French Dynamite stepping up in class for Mouse Morris. Royal Rendezvous, lifetime ambition. This is a proper good race. Uh, to be run on Sunday at, at the Tipperary track. There's a Mayor's Chase featuring Allegory Devassi, the anti-post favourite for the Mayor's Chase at Cheltenham. He, she's going to put her uh, foot on the line here on one of her second chase start in her career in public. She's taking on six feet, six feet apart in Brideshill, but really and truly, if Allegory Devassi is the Mayor we think she is and the Mayor we saw at Limerick at Christmas, she should be winning this. And the Hunter's Chase on the very same card features Billaway, the horse that landed the Hunter's Chase at Cheltenham last year. It's his first seasonal bow as he bids to repeat his uh, basically his productive season that he had last year. The main race in the UK will come from Haydock if that gets the green light after an inspection tomorrow morning. The champion hurdle trial. It's a fancy name. It's nothing in nature. Epitant should win. Okay, Jane, before I let you go because we are nearly out of time, Alan Cawley is with me in studio and he's looking for a tip for Thursday in Goran. Thursday, Goran, the Tyson's chase. Alan, you're going to have to get me on on the Wednesday because I don't know what's going to run. <laughs> well, Jane, uh, the ground is going to be very heavy, but I do believe in the Galmoy hurdle on the very same card, we're going to see Tahupo. And there's a horse called Sir Gerhard oh, yeah. after getting a, an entry for the beginner's chase, which, of course, gives us a little bit of guidance as to where he might end up going. So if you get me on before Thursday, we'll have a deeper chat. Well, I can do one better, Jane, because I'm going to Goran on Thursday, so I'll be, ah. be up to you for a chat, a cup of tea, and then you can give me your tip. Um, Jane, It'll you, be live on RTE, so we perfect. can all tune in. You, you may need to go in disguise. <laughs> <laughs>